Yo, what's happening, everybody? This is Jerome Thornman checking in again for the Chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. Man, this is the Quarantine Lean Edition, volume number 30. And for all my Spotify listeners and anchor listeners out there, um, it has been a while since I've dropped uh, a podcast on Anchor because I'm actually doing some things on YouTube these days. So salute out to all of my YouTube followers. Salute everybody that's been listening and tuning in. I really do appreciate it. But tonight, um, as we all know, you know, the presidential debates are going on between, you know, President Trump or Donald Trump and Mike Pence and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I have some strong reservations for both me being an African-American man Um, And I speak on behalf of my community in every single scenario. So uh, um, before I actually get into our subject right now, from what it seems as though. As predicted, as I predicted, that the Black Lives Matter movement has almost came to an actual halt. Um, There's still. Basically, police brutality. Um, going on all over the United States, which is not a surprise to me. And I've always said that not that the Black Lives Matter movement was a waste of time. I just feel as though that the amount of time that we put in, um, the amount of energy, the amount of emotional connection, and also the vibrations that's been going through not only the United States, but the world, I just feel as though that that energy could have been used in a better way. But salute to everybody that's out there on the main lines. Um, I don't have any qualms against anybody that's out there protesting, that's trying to make things better um, as far as police brutality is concerned. But I do question um, different things of what's the end result. And I've been vocal about the end results of these things and also how it's going to affect our community moving forward from a, I'm a more financial person um, or economic person. I have a very, very economic mindset. I really, really can explain this from, you know, my days in college. Um, I did study W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, I did study Booker T. Washington. Um, I did stutter, um, study, I said stutter. I did study um, Marcus Garvey and um, a lot of other black leaders. I mean, I didn't really study Dr. Martin Luther King, um, but, you know, I understand, you know, the movement. And one thing that I've been saying about voting and politics and marching is, is that these things are more social reform. And that's great. And that's fine. Social reform is good for the better of our society. But too often, um, I feel as though that African-Americans bear this banner of social change. And once the social change or the message is presented by us because we have no problems marching, we have no problem getting people to vote X, Y, Z. We have no problems um basically saying women's rights, gay rights, minority rights, everything. We 
endure all of that. But when the smoke clears and the resources or the messages is being delivered to these other subgroups, the African-American community doesn't actually see a return on our investment, uh, whether it's emotional, whether it's us volunteering our time, uh, financial, everything. It's, it, we never really see the, how should I say, the reinvestment of time and capital um, back into our community. So now let's go ahead and move forward. A lot of people are um, really, really up in arms about getting President Trump or Donald Trump out of office. And and to be honest, I couldn't. um, There's a lot of different things that he has or that he and his administration has been a part of or that they have acknowledged um, and saying, well, hey, you know what, X, Y, Z, you know, there's been several spin stories and quote unquote lies coming from the administration. So, of course, that's going to put everybody into um I wouldn't say everybody, but a certain group of people into, you know, it's going to put a bitter taste in their mouth. And to be honest, I don't blame them. So um, on the other hand, we have uh, President Biden or uh, President nominee Biden and Harris. And, you know, I have been involved in several different conversations on Facebook, on YouTube, um, just engaging in different people, specifically African-Americans and asking them. Um, how do you all feel at this point in time? And of course, with the amount of police brutality that's been going on, a lot of people are tying these things to Donald Trump because um, his position or his um, failure to acknowledge white supremacy and, and the effects that white supremacy has on the United States from a violent standpoint. Um, he will not acknowledge that. And a lot of people are Tying these things to, hey, we got to get him out of office. Um, really and truly, the I, I guess the impeachment process doesn't work, didn't work. Um, they're still trying to get tax returns. It's, it's just a whole lot. It's just a whole lot. Really and truly, all of this is a big mess. But then again, um, we have, on the other hand, um, President Biden, who has. Who was a part of the. 1994, 1995 crime bill. Um, and to be honest, this is one of the outside of the. I, I really don't want to make this comparison, but I would just say it, to be honest, because the numbers are almost equivalent just in the actual amount of years that black men and women have been put in jail is almost equivalent to the amount of time. Um, that we were enslaved um, as, you know, coming over to the country as being enslaved. African-Americans were targeted um, and they were given higher sentences up under this 1994 crime bill. And then we also have to look at the track record of Miss Kamala Harris uh, when she was a state's attorney um, in California or district attorney in California. She had some um, esteemed position there. And during her time there, right, it was more African-Americans being put in jail and given these long, very, very lengthy sentences. So, you know, I was communicating this information to other African-Americans and they were uh, really looking at me like, man, you know, calling me a sellout and, you know, calling me a Trump supporter. And I'm just like, hold on, man. Like, 
we need to really understand what our position is. And on top of this, not only our position, but we need to understand exactly which party is speaking to us the loudest. Is it the Trump position or the Republican Party or is the Democrat position and Biden and Harris? And to be honest, within the first two debates, neither party wanted to discuss specific issues that were related to the African-American community. And they had ample opportunities. And the information that I was communicating was, was that if this information was so important, if we were so important and Joe Biden came on the Breakfast Club and stated it boldly. If if a black person doesn't vote for me, then you know what? They're not considered black. Me, myself, personally, I looked at that sideways. Um, and then when he was asked to explain. Different things in regards to the 1994 crime bill. He he didn't he actually doubled down on it. So and stated that he didn't he didn't see any wrong in what he did. And to me, that's a red flag. So now. We understand that most people are emotionally attached to African-Americans are most are emotionally attached to the Democratic Party. So then they would say, hey, you know, we're voting Democrat, we're voting Democrat, we're voting Democrat. So I asked them, I'm like, well, you know what, within the last 20 years. Or maybe even 25 years, can we say as African-Americans that we have seen a substantial improvement within our community? You know, and a lot of people were dodging the questions. I said, well, OK, well, can we see. When President Obama was in office, can we see that there was an actual improvement in our community? And when I say improvement, I'm talking about an economic improvement. Right. I'm talking about now. One thing I can say is that I think the our unemployment rate, it, it did drop. I would say probably about from anywhere from three to five percent when President Obama was in office. But we were still the highest in the nation. So, you know, that was some slight improvement. But, you know, when we're still leading the nation, that's not a whole lot to hold our hats on. Um, so there were some opportunities there. Um, also, you know, there was a, a historic moment to where we could have put another African-American male or female in office up under President Obama. And that didn't happen. OK, fine. So now. At this point in time, Donald Trump has been initiating so many different judges in office who don't look like us, who nine times out of 10 don't have our best interests. So I asked the question again, what has really happened within politics within the last 25 years that African-Americans has actually seen a social improvement? And I would just really, really say that it's slim to none. So. We have a lot of different superstars or stars or movie stars or entertainers that are actually involved, specifically Ice Cube. Now we're getting down to the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Ice Cube was um, very, very vocal about African-Americans and this contract uh, with black America. To be honest, Ice Cube was not the first one to actually do this. Uh, Black Enterprise, I think whether it was 2009 or 2010, actually had some, I think it was about 12 
10 to 12 different things that they were trying to communicate to to African-Americans to do and to actually commit to. But they didn't actually bring it on an actual community or um, public platform in regards to a presidential candidate. So Ice Cube actually um, reached out to Ms. Harris and uh, Mr. Biden, our president nominees, and stated that, hey, he wanted to be involved or he wanted to have his team to be involved in regards to actually um, discussing some very, very integral points that he thought and him and his team thought that was going to be important. Um, At this point in time, the Biden and Harris uh, camp or presidential uh, administration to be basically told Ice Cube to wait. And Ice Cube was like, no, I really don't want to wait. I really want to get this done and communicate this to with the people while they actually have a chance. Um, so as a result of that, Ice Cube stated, um, hey, look, I'm going to actually reach out to both parties. And that's exactly what he did. And um, there was something that was called a platinum plan. Um, that was put together that Ice Cube and his team, I guess, of scholars and educators, you know, helped the Trump campaign put together. And all of a sudden, people started to come out and call Ice Cube a coon and, you know, stating that, you know, they didn't know what was wrong with him. Um, Just a lot of different negative things. And I've always said, to be honest, that entertainers, Um, do not have a real position in regards to politics um, because their job to me or at that point in time was to entertain. Um, But then again, though, I I had to rethink this because this has been my position, of course, studying W.E.B. Du Bois and the Talented Tenth and different things such as that. You know, that's the actual mind frame that I was speaking upon. So but then I thought about it. I'm like, well, who am I to actually judge a musician's or an entertainer's intellect? Because what we see in their music and their art is one thing. But just, you know, we don't know who they are intellectually as a person. We know them as the artist or the entertainer. So maybe we should just actually back off and give this person, you know, just a chance to communicate their information. Unfortunately, at this point in time, no one really um, came out to Ice Cube's defense um, publicly. I mean, it was a complete, I wouldn't say manslaughter, you know, but it was, it was, he took publicly, he lost what I call social capital um, from, you know, just his popularity and what he stands for and his music and his business and his, and his brand overall. Me, myself, personally, I thought that it was a little childish, um, a little judgmental but i had to understand that at this point in time we are so emotionally tied to trauma mental trauma that are coming you know that has came our way from the powers that be and we've been mentally trained to really think one way and one way only and that's the democratic way and in my opinion in the great words of marcus garvey You know, Marcus Garvey was like, hey, you know what? I don't care who is helping uh, black people. As long as they're willing to help us, then, you know, we can have a conversation. You know, so um, I think that's what that's what Ice Cube's form of thinking was when he actually met with the um, Trump administration. I would like to hear your thoughts and your 
um, opinions on this. If you guys think that I'm wrong uh, for taking Ice Cube's side, you know, hey, let me know. You know, tweet me at Rome Empire 77 um, at me at Facebook, um, Jerome Thornton or Thornton Media or um, on Instagram at Virtual Hustle 77. You know, you could do all of that. You know, it's no problem um, because mm-hmm. at this point in time, I feel as though I had proposed my form of thinking was my form of thinking was was that african-americans as a whole i think we just need to get out of the whole civic process um and start to look at just who we are as a people to get to re um understand who we are um t- so that way we could show love to one another we could come together as a group And as a result of that, we could start to love ourselves again, because I think that we put too much stock in um, politics and political things that we don't have a problem for or or, or we really don't have any say in. And I'm going to say this. And if anybody hear me moving, please forgive me. My phone is um, my phone is about to go dead. So definitely not trying to disturb disturb you all but i definitely don't want my podcast to end while we are in the middle so give me one moment here i really do appreciate you all ah so refreshing okay so let me get back into it so think about this right do you remember earlier when I was saying how much time and investment that we have um, that we put in into, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement? And exactly, you know, how that hashtag uh, marketing campaign, different things has. Um, but it just never really went anywhere, really. Um, we really haven't seen the things that they were speaking about come to fruition. And what I'm saying is, is that the position that the United States is in, in my opinion, is not an African-American issue. Um, And the reason why is because African-Americans have not had the influence nor the power to make any decisions when it comes down to the United States Um, from a broad standpoint, from an international standpoint. So really and truly, everything that we're seeing right now is not our fault. It's it's completely, um, and I'm just being honest here, it's completely the powers that be, basically, mostly 99.9% European. They were the ones that got the United States in debt, right? They were the ones that actually set the laws. They were the ones that actually wrote the Constitution. Um, They were the ones who came up with all of these different things. And now when we're starting to see issues happen, they're calling on African-Americans to get out and vote, 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 vote for what? Your best, your best interest or their best interest. Because as we've seen in the past, these things don't trickle down to us. So that's the reason why I was saying that some people may agree Some people may disagree. Um, And if you do, that's fine. And, and, And hey, maybe I'm wrong in regards to that. But 
I'm a little fed up. You know, I'm thinking just not from a radical standpoint, but just from an African-American standpoint. If you look around in your community right now and if you could point me and if you could look in your African-American community right now and if you could point out. Two convenience stores that are owned by African-Americans. Right. If you could point out one thriving business in your community that employs 50 to 100 African-Americans. If you could point out a healthcare provider that's providing um, healthcare services to specifically to African-Americans or that's, that is available to African-Americans, let me know. Think about that. If you could point out someone, and I'm talking about, this is all over the United States, not only in your community, all over the United States. If you could go to Atlanta, if you could go to Memphis, if you could go to Brooklyn, if you could go to Chicago, if you could go to Los Angeles, all of the urban meccas all over the United States, Wilmington, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Baton Rouge, Shreveport, Louisiana, New Orleans. If you could point these things out, if you could point those things out, if you could show me a community that has these things, then maybe I'm wrong. And I guess the reason why, well, not I guess, the reason why I'm pointing these things out and I'm saying that we have to pull back. Because in my mind, how I'm looking at it is, is that we're thinking that if we vote, then the information is being communicated to the top is going to trickle down to us. And as a result of that, you know, there's going to be more jobs and, you know, taxes are going to be lower. It's not in my opinion. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the only way that is going to happen for us, if we do it for ourselves, we can't depend on the powers to be that do it because. They give us this song and dance every Every year, every 40 years, every four years, they give us this song and dance. You know, so now we're even starting to see corporations. Now we're even starting to see corporations um, do this, do these type of things. Right. Because the word is being put out that African-Americans need to start to, you know, have banks, have a proper banking system, need to support their own businesses. So now all of a sudden you start to see different things such as uh, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase. You know, they're coming and they're flooding. They're flooding. They're flooding, you know, different organizations with money or they're saying that, you know, they're going to invest so many um, millions or uh, billions of dollars, you know, to, to create different things for African-Americans. And me, myself, personally, I think that that's a great lip service, but in my opinion, that's all of them. It's a marketing ploy. If I know, if I know, if I'm in business and I see my customers that have been doing business with me through hell or high water, right, started to leave out because they are going to establish a different institution, then I'm, you know, I'm saying, ho, 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 you guys are doing what? You're leaving? Oh, no. Well, you know what? Guess what? I, I I have something new for you all. That's what's going on, because they know 
if they leave, if we leave their institutions, that's going to be a whole lot, a whole lot of their bottom line leaving out. Probably about a good 25 to 30%. African-Americans spend about $2 trillion a year. So just think about how much money that we actually have in these banks. Probably more than two trillion. Probably more than a billion. I don't got the numbers on that, but I can guarantee you it's more than a billion. Right? So not to mention the retirement money that's being managed by, you know, Wachovia and Wells Fargo and Fidelity and all these people. If we transfer all of that wealth out, these people are going to be like, damn, you know, so now they want to come and they start to understand the power of the black dollar. But at this point in time, I would say, you know, what, we need to continue to walk out. We need to continue to walk out and build our own economic structure. And here's the reason why. Hispanics have banks. Asians have banks. Europeans have banks. Everybody has their own banking system in the United States except African-Americans. So now let's tie all of these things back to Ice Cube, right? Really and truly for him to have the guts and the balls to say, hey, look, I don't care. I'm going to speak my mind and I'm going to speak on behalf of my people. I don't view him as being an actual coon. Maybe the delivery could have been different. Maybe it could have been done a different way, but at least we have to give him credit. Now, um, before I move forward, I just want to ask everybody, man, how y'all doing out there? How y'all feeling? Hopefully you sitting back, you know, um, uh, for the people that's a little ratchet, it's thirsty Thursdays for the people, you know what I'm saying? That's, you know, a little bit closer or, um, closer to God, you know, you probably had Bible study. It's Thursday night. You know what I'm saying? For the people with families, y'all probably had a nice dinner, you know, watching a movie on Netflix. So, you know, hopefully everybody's doing good, man. And staying safe out there during this quarantine. Um, but I also wanted to talk about something that's been really, really on my mind. Um, but if you want to hear that, you're going to have to tune in to the next podcast. Man, I'd like to thank everybody again for tuning in to the Chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. This is volume number 30. Um, y'all could... Go follow my YouTube page, man. It's on um said YouTube. It's the Chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. You know, y'all check it out. Share the uh share the content. If you all have any um subjects that you want to share, you know what? Don't hesitate to DM me. And uh whoever the person was that was out there wanted me to do a story on the Proud Boys, um, I um would not do a story on that, so I declined. You know, that's not what my podcast is about. Um highlighting groups, you know related to the proud boys. So, um, but I do appreciate that. But if you all have any type of uh, feedback or anything that you would like to discuss, so if you wanted to be a part of the actual, uh, chicken and Kool-Aid podcast, don't hesitate to leave me a message. Thanks again for everybody for tuning in and, uh, you all have a great week or weekend.